quarantine week four edition. Yeah, you all know. Still growing hair in places it shouldn't. Uh, yeah, no, this is saved uh, anything. Nope, 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 nope. It's uh, it's getting it's getting fun, guys. Um, starting to really whole whole things really hanging on by a hope and a prayer. I hope y'all are you know, on a serious note. I hope y'all are doing okay. Um, yeah. I mean, no one's really probably okay right now, but no, um, um, no. You know, again, and we take this very seriously. You know, major concerns out there um, in this podcast are the prison population who are are left in just absolutely grotesque conditions. Um, obviously, yeah. multiple people are you know infected and died at Rikers Island, um, which is a uh, horrible, horrible prison. And there are people on minor uh, offenses who have been transferred into there by the hundreds because Andrew Cuomo is a giant piece of shit. And I'm pretty sure the first death at Rikers was someone from like a parole violation or some stupid bullshit like that. Like, oh, you violated parole, you get to die now. Like, that's this fucking society. Um, Also, you know, of course, the United States is... Uh, now leading in gross deaths um, of any country, not that it's a race um, and not that it no. should be made political, but obviously politics affect life and death. And so politically, you know, we should worry about how the United States is handling this. And uh, since the United States is dedicated more to a blame game and they have far, far exceeded in this country, the cases in spite of very delayed uh, testing and a lot of cover-ups, uh, the fact that we're also leading in official deaths, even though the CDC has already admitted that some people have been posthumously uh, able to be assigned, like realized it was you know COVID-19, which shows that there's a lot of people who died of it that have just been labeled the wrong thing. Um, oh, yeah. That's just fucking terrifying, so fuck this country. Um, so on a very, very serious note, we hope all of you are doing okay. We also know that there's a... a uh, huge impending wave of um, economic, you know, implications coming after the economic implications have already happened. And uh, so hopefully you're doing okay out there, but we know that that's very hopeful at this point. So a big, big reminder uh, to continue uh, with community support efforts as best you can. Absolutely. And this is, this is one of those things where I don't, I, I don't know if it's better or worse. Uh, for me, it's a lot. I feel a lot better. I think this is where the th- knowing why the thing happens and how it's going to happen is at least yeah. giving me some sort of. It, it makes it easier to point out why things are happening. It makes it feel less random and it gives you a tar- There's a target to it because you it, when you understand the underpinnings of it, especially when you go through like capital and then imperialism, especially I think are the two most relevant ones we've gone through at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, uh, when you know exactly when you can see consolidation of capital happening you can see the state intervening to protect the interest of capital and only the interest of capital yes yes um like the post office right now which exactly is that that's that's being done so amazon can hash out a monopoly yeah um, oh for sure that's you know just gonna be fucking embarrassing when when that happens and mm-hmm. there's nothing we can do about it except what we should have been doing this whole time that's over through the whole goddamn system but there's a bunch of people that'll be like shocked like all of a sudden that amazon is charging them you know five dollars a package to ship and shit like that and you see things like this all i mean this is you 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 were able to use that again you use the theory and stuff like that to analyze other bernie sanders losing Mm -hmm. that a lot of people i didn't i I guess everyone else got i guess everyone got there in a weird time i kind of thought and i assumed everyone else did too that after the whole uber centrist consolidation when they absolutely showed their entire hand to rat fuck him um 
and then he lost everything. I thought that everyone had given up at that point. Like I thought everyone recognized from there on out. Okay, yeah, here's how it's like, going. I, was, I like but, a lot of people should have seen it coming. Even like if I, you somehow believe in ex- electoral politics, you should have seen it coming probably before the primary. But it's fine if you didn't. That's why we're educating people. Uh, yeah, everyone should have really fucking seen it after Iowa. That should have been the clear like, no, they're gonna rat fucking. And, and even then, like you could have hope after because he won the first two. But then when everyone dro- the minute that everyone dropped out right before Super Tuesday. Yeah, everybody dropped out. Uh, Bloomberg ran one campaign on Super Tuesday and then dropped out. Like as soon as that happened, like this was almost a month ago. Yeah. And then yesterday, I'm still seeing people like I like mourning like that. This came out of nowhere that Bernie was like leaving the race. It's like, guys, like, have you spent the last month duly convinced that your efforts should have been spent trying to get Bernie Sanders elected? Like, why? How did we not pivot? <laughs> Yeah, by this point. So again, this is where you, you can see the things coming. You can see the road signs a lot quicker mm-hmm. and know when to pivot and know when to move to another realm. Again, it's it's back to that. Um, uh, not No, not, not what is to be done. It sounds like it should be what is to be done, but it's left-wing communism where it's, yes, you use all the channels available to you, but you have to use them intelligently. Yeah. <laughs> and so like at a certain point, like just ramming your head into the wall of electoralism. I mean, at the early part of the campaign, if you want to try and like justify it as radicalization, fine. But after the rat fucking, like, come on, guys, let's 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 pack it up. And there's like a, a, a pandemic happening. Have you literally spent the last month of this pandemic, like phone banking for Bert? You thought that was the thing you should be doing? Like, come on, we got yeah. other things we can be doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's just there's there are a lot of practical applications to knowing this, mm-hmm. um, and I think it does. I think it makes times like these less. I don't know. You're you're less staring into this black void of there is nothing to be done. It's it's still incredibly depressing and infuriating. Infuriating. That's not a word. Uh, (laughs) Y'all know what I fuck. Y'all know what I fuck. I'm not even drinking. I'm not even drinking this time. Um, But it was it was very much. You know, you're still furious, but you know why it's happening, and it's it's something that you can point out and shout at. Because the more you point out and shout at it, the more other people recognize it, and then more people are recognizing it this time around than they did in '08. Um, and, and you, you just kind of keep this snowball going until you've built and hopefully enough class consciousness that when, that we have, we have a movement ready to go. Yeah. Um, that being said, obviously, obviously the number one thing you'd say is go out and get involved with whatever local organization is near you. Um, and, and to provide, you know, to start figuring this out and, and, you know, reaching out to people. Uh, I don't know how advisable that is in the current situation, but definitely online. This is the time where, where, you know, reaching out online is probably better than nothing right now. So whatever, whatever you can be doing, do because we just can't, we just can't like go in a hole right now just because we're not allowed no. to go outside. No, this is this is the most important time because there's people that are absolutely lining up with with needs. Um, I noticed there's a lot of people out there making masks, so uh, that's very good. <clears throat> Obviously, there's still revolutionary organizations that are distributing food um, and and other things like that. You know, obviously, you need to get um, hand sanitizer and things to house houseless people, uh, as well as of course, you know, the the normal things, socks, etc. And you need to get uh, soap, um, books, anything into to prisons um, as much as you can. Um, this is certainly a time to organize. Uh, so do that Book, as yeah. much as you can, realizing that it is very difficult right now with the lockdown. Yes, so. and that a lot of people are, again, material support may be difficult. I mean, a lot of people are trying to find ways to survive right now. Mm-hmm. Material support may not be the way to do it. But again, education, talking to people. 
Um, and just making sure that wherever you're, you know, wherever you're, you're dealing with this, you don't let it lead you to reaction. You let it, you know, you let it build the, the class consciousness and the, the revolutionary side of this, because there is, there's real, we're getting real close to one of two options. We're going to have to pick guys and, uh, uh, socialism, fascism, you know, we can, we can very easily split either way right now. And we gotta, we gotta make sure we're doing everything we can to make sure this breaks the way we need it to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that being said, to, Oh yeah, no, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that being said, it's, uh, it's time to talk about, uh, black reconstruction. By it's not, voice. it's oh. not, it's not, it's time for corrections. It's time for corrections. Oh, <laughs> um, boy. oh, it's not an, Oh boy. One it's of all the corrections <laughs> we've had to make. I'm okay with this one. Um, but You're apparently, okay I'm okay I'm with a, all of them. I just feel like a dumbass. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, no, no. So I guess that's what I said. When I, when I misspeak and like, like completely screw up a historical fact or something that's important, I get upset. Uh, what I have said recently, I think twice now for whatever reason, is I attributed uh, the uh, end of humanity to, or the end of civilization or whatever that stupid book is by uh, Francis Fukuyama. I attributed that to Mikhail Ka- uh, Mikhail uh, Kaku. Or Mikio Kaku, uh, uh, the physicist. Yeah, so basically, Mikio Kaku. Um, so I basically made it so that the bullshit lib wannabe Neil deGrasse Tyson physicist, douche, narcissistic douchebag, um, wrote the book that the other neolib psychopath wrote. They're both bad people. I don't care. Um, but it is important that we are at least accurate on who we dunk on. And so, yeah, uh, Mikio Kaku, I, I don't like I, him. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I totally believe it because all of all of the celebrity scientists are, are bad, but um, I, I don't I don't know what even makes Kaku bad. Uh, that's very uh, different than end of end of history. Yeah, I mean, it's very different than end of history. He's he's just basically uh, like he I mean, anyone that goes on like Opie and Anthony and tries to explain like science to the to the hoi pull away just i no, uh-uh no plus all his books are like how the future will save us and it's like shut up you you <laughs> my the future of the mind the scientific quest to understand the mind get fucked get fucked me up me kaku like nah i ain't here for it and and i i consulted with the one uh theoretical physicist that i know and he confirmed that he thinks he's an asshole too so that yeah. was my that was uh, marijuana fermion on discord i see you thank you appreciate the uh, appreciate the citations there needed that um that being said we can now get back to the thing that we are talking about which is yes. uh dr boys also a minor to to start the very start of this episode we are going to do a little correction here because we did end the episode last week not knowing what seraglios meant or seraglios yeah we're going with seraglios um yeah. didn't we look it up though i thought we looked it we up did figure it out. uh yeah. we probably did but i think i cut it because it didn't like the way we transitioned oh. to the end anyway, behind the scenes no we i think we had edited it out but Long story short, Seraglios, just in case we did say it or didn't say it, is uh, it is just a house where uh, Ottoman mistresses lived uh, back yeah. in the day. So it yeah, was, it was uh, you know, house. so the the idea we, was like the wives were just there for show, and then they did they did their wife thing. There was no intimacy. Yeah, 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 they were they were they were there for status. They were there for status, and then they were put to the to the level of mistresses. Was what she yeah. was saying. Uh, a daughter of a or a sister of a president of the United States. So we're getting unnamed TMZ sources here. Um, but you know, I'm I'm okay with it. Whatever, we'll we'll deal with it. Uh, that being said, what the planters wanted, oh, guys, what the planters wanted is a long, complicated story, uh, was income large enough to maintain the level of living which was their ideal. Well, that seems pretty easy. Naturally, only a few of them had enough for this, and the rest, striving towards it, were perpetually in debt and querulously seeking a reason for this indebtedness outside themselves. Huh. <laughs> that doesn't sound like anyone else I know. 
for the record, for the record, that is almost the exact plot of the. Uh, that is actually the exact plot of the the bad, 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 unequivocally bad Netflix show Tiger King. So not, don't watch oh, it. Yeah. Just read this book instead. Uh, I cannot stress enough how much I would love to never see another meme or anything from that show ever. I watched yeah. it because my wife wanted to watch it. And it was, I, you know, I, I, I make it like, I'm like, okay, I can yell at you for theory for an hour. And then I'll watch an episode of the show and we go back and forth. So, you know, it's, it's given, oh, it's, it's give and take. You, you misgender one of the main characters. You just let a child sex trafficking ring just go by. And mm-hmm. the main antagonist is a woman who, Maybe, maybe didn't um, kill her sex predator husband that picked her up on the side of the road, which either way, I don't give a shit about rich people. So whatever. No, they're all that show is literally a they spend the first three episodes trying to make the worst human beings in the history of time, like semi relatable. And then they spend the next four episodes just showing you the awfulness of all of it and how it's just nobody's happy. Nobody wins. It is like it's just bad for bad sake. Like it's just watching a train wreck and all the worst parts of capitalism with no real critique to it. The only part like if there was if there was some sort of message to it or some sort of and this is why capital something is bad. But they just kind of throw their hands up and go, ah, weird, isn't it? Crazy people. What are you going to do? Um, it's just it's oh, wow. just such a fucking shit show. Um, but then it was weird because then there was the meme of the one of the shitheads coming on and saying, like, the workers of the world will rise up and take over after this. But he's like a grifting billionaire millionaire man. I don't understand any of it. Um, what I'm saying is don't watch it. Just read this book instead. You'll be happier. <laughs> this, <laughs> this has been Nathan. Ex- get through four pages at a time. And Shut up! I just explained an entire. I just explained like an eight-hour Netflix special in like three minutes. If this show does anything, it is explain needlessly long things. I just did that. Mission accomplished. <laughs> uh, damn it! Uh, since it was beneath the dignity of a gentleman to encumber himself, I'm going to say that word like that every time in this chapter. By the way, to encumber himself with the details of his finances, guys, 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 listen to that again. Sorry. Since it was beneath the dignity of a gentleman to encumber himself with the details of his finances. Knowing what's in your bank account is for nerds. That is what they're saying here. Holy crap. That is that is something. That is definitely that is definitely a mood, and I'm I'm here for it. Uh, anyone who just doesn't check their bank account just because it's it's you know what? I'm just gonna say that from now on. But I when I don't know how much money's in my account, that's not that's because it's not gentlemanly. I overdrafted because I was a gentleman, damn it. Um this how much money do you have, sir? I'm a gentleman. <laughs> how dare you? Slap slap. Um God damn. Uh, for the uh gentlemen, this lordly excuse enabled the planter to place himself between the black and slave and a series of intermediaries through whom bitter pressure and exploitation could be exercised and large crops raised. For the very reason that the planters did not give attention to details, there was wide tendency to commercialize their growing business of supplying raw materials for an expanding modern industry. They were the last to comprehend the revolution through which the industry was passing, and their efforts to increase income succeeded only at the cost of raping the land and degrading the laborers. Ooh. That's a good, that's a good line. That's a good, that's a good sentence right there. God, the boys. Uh, theoretically, there were many ways of increasing the income of the planter. Practically, there was but one. 
The planter might sell his crops at higher prices. He might increase his crop by intensive farming, or he might reduce the cost of handling and transporting his crops. He might increase his crops by making his laborers work harder and giving them smaller wages. I wonder which one he goes with. In practice, the planter, so far as prices were concerned, was at the mercy of the market, aren't we all? Merchants and manufacturers, by intelligence and close combination, set the current prices of raw material. Their power thus exercised over agriculture was not unlimited, but it was so large, so continuous, and so steadily and intelligently exerted that it gradually reduced agriculture to a subsidiary industry whose returns scarcely supported the farmer and the, his laborer. Oh, poor, poor plantation farmers. <laughs> Guys, won't you have pity for the plantation farmer? The southern planter in the 50s was in a key position to attempt to break and arrest the growth of this domination of all industry by trade and manufacturer. But he was too lazy and self-indulgent to do this, and he would not apply his intelligence to the problem. His capitalistic rivals of the north were hardworking, simple-living zealots devoting their whole energy and intelligence to building up an industrial system. They quickly monopolized transport and mines and factories and were more than willing to include the big plantations. But the planter wanted results without effort. Really, the guy who uh, uses slave labor to get his money doesn't want to put it. This is shocking to me. Uh, he wanted large income without corresponding investment, and he insisted furiously upon a system of production which excluded intelligent labor, machinery, and modern methods. He toyed with the idea of local manufacturers and ships and railroads, but this entailed too much work and sacrifice. The result was that northern and European industry set prices for southern cotton, tobacco, and sugar, which left a narrow margin of profit for the planter. He could retaliate only by more ruthlessly exploiting his slave labor so as to get the largest crops at the least expense. He was therefore not deliberately cruel to his slaves, <clears throat> but he had to raise cotton enough to satisfy his pretensions and self-indulgence, even if it brutalized and commercialized his slave labor. <laughs> Um, the voice, you're, you're a lot very of things kind there. to these planters in that last It's thing. What's really weird, it, it, he does go, he vacillates quite a bit in certain areas where he will, he will, he will concede like very, I would say that that's a fairly huge concession to say they weren't deliberately yeah. cruel, but he will make such biting critiques of their lifestyle and everything else throughout there that I, I don't know. I don't know if it's to attempt to, to play, you know, to, to make sure that some people are still reading and not everyone's <laughs> just immediately turning it off kind of a thing, but right. Um, I have no idea. Or maybe he's trying to, to be materialist about it a little bit, but being a little yeah. too nice by injecting the materialism. Yeah. So, it's uh, it, it definitely it definitely makes sense, but it's definitely not any. I mean, <laughs> I, I I think that some of them were probably uh, deliberately cruel to their slaves. Oh, I'm I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. All of them might be a stretch. Some of them for sure. <laughs> yeah. Thus, slavery was the economic lag of the 16th century, carried over into the 19th century, and bringing by contrast and by friction moral lapses and political difficulties. It has been estimated that the southern states had in 1860 $3 billion invested in slaves, which meant that slaves and land represented the mass of their capital. Being generally convinced that Negroes could only labor as slaves, it was easier for them to become further persuaded that the slaves were better off than white workers and that the South had better labor systems than the North with extraordinary possibilities in industrial and social development. Guys, it just said explicitly <laughs> that yep. anyone who says, oh, you know, white workers have it worse than slaves or just as bad as slaves, that is explicit racism because you can only say that if you dehumanize black people into people that deserve to be slaves or at best can be only slaves. It's right there in your face. 
Yep. The argument went like this. Raw material like cotton, tobacco, sugar, rice, together with other foodstuffs, form the real wealth of the United States and were produced by the southern states. These crops were sold all over the world and were in such demand that the industry of Europe depended on them. The trade with Europe must be kept open so that the South might not buy at the lowest prices such manufactured goods as she wanted, and she must oppose all northern attempts to exalt industry at the expense of agriculture. The North might argue cognitively. Cogently? Cogently? Cognently? I don't know. It's a word. I mean, cognently would make sense there, but that's not what that says. Cogently. 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 Okay. Cogently. That industry and manufacture could build up the United States, a national economy. Writers on economics begin in Germany and America so elaborate and insist upon the advantages of such a system, but the South would have none of it. It meant not only giving the North a new industrial prosperity, but doing this at the expense of England and France, and the Southern planters preferred Europe to Northern America. They not only preferred Europe for social reasons and for economic advantages, but they sensed that the new power monopolizing and distributing capital through the national banking system, if permitted in the North, in an expanding industry, would make the North an even greater financial dictator of the South than it was at the time. The South voiced for the Southern farmer in 1850 where it's almost identical with those of the Western farmer, 75 years later. All industry, declared one Southerner, is getting legislative support against agriculture, and thus the profits are going to manufacture and trade, and these concentrated in the North stand against the interests of the South. I cannot tell you how often this book is just making me understand, because, I mean, I don't know how many times we've got to say it. You know, America is a one-party state. Typical American extravagance, I, right. I guess. It, I don't remember. That's uh, one of one African leader. Neary. Um, Neary, yeah. I think it was. Um, says, you know, I mean, there's one American party, typical American extravagance. There's two of them. You can see the split in, in the very tiny sieve that is the difference in American uh, parties where you've got, you know, liberal and conservative here is, you know, the, the, the liberal is, is the North. You know, hi, you stupid conservative idiots. We're doing it the right way. We're industrializing. We're marketing. Look how great America is you know, this way. And then, and then the conservatives are, no, you idiots. This is where all the profit is. We dominate the world like this. You know, I mean, we, we just should get our backwards way and you, you industrialists are, are stepping on our toes. And it, I mean, you could see the divide in the parties as well as can see that they're really one and they're just um, fighting at each other. And so these, these are exposing the material conditions that have given rise to the two American parties, the two branches of American bourgeoisie dominance. Yep. And that's where, and, and just to make sure we get it right, because I'm always I'm always hyper, I'm always anal about quotes. The United States is also a one-party state, but with typical American extravagance, they have two of them, Julius Neary. Uh, so there we go. That's, you know, side, sources cited. We're good there, guys. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I could not perhaps be proven that the Southern planter, had he been educated in economics and history, and had he known the essential trends of the modern world, could have kept the Industrial Revolution from subordinating agriculture and reducing it to its present vassalage to manufacturing. But it is certain that the enlightened uh, and far-seeing agrarianism under the peculiar economic circumstances of the United States during the first half of the 19th century could have essentially modified the economic trend of the world. The South, with free rich land and cheap labor, had the monopoly of cotton and a material in universal demand. If the leaders of the South, while keeping the consumer in mind, had turned more thoughtfully to the problem of the American producer and had guided the production of the cotton and food so as to take every advantage of the new machinery and modern methods in agriculture, they might have moved forward with the manufacture and been able to secure an approximately large amount of the profit. But this would have involved yielding to the demands of the modern labor, 
opportunity for education, legal protection of women and children, regulation of the hours of work, steadily increasing wages, and the right to some voice in administration in the state, if not the conduct of industry. The South had but one argument against following modern civilization and this yielding to the man of the laboring humanity. It insisted on the efficiency of Negro labor for ordinary toil and on its essential equality in physical condition with the average labor of Europe and America. But in order to maintain its income without sacrifice or exertion, South fell back on the doctrine of racial difference, which it asserted made higher intelligence and increased efficiency impossible for Negro labor. Wishing such an excuse for lazy indulgence, the planter needed found, invented, and proved it. His, sub- his subservient religious leaders reverted to the curse of Canaan. His pseudoscientists gathered and supplemented all available doctrines of race inferiority. His scattered schools and pedant- uh, yeah, pedantic periodicals repeated these legends until the average planter was born after 1840. It was impossible not to believe that all valid laws in psychology, economics, and politics stopped with the Negro race. Again, you can yeah. see, and this is what we think of as the reactionary terms i mean this is describing kind of essentially the rise of like right-wing think tanks oh yeah the the entire you know religion religious mythos of of the right you know with the you know you deserved it if you're poor kind of it comes comes from this it comes but and i think this does a better job of showing this is almost like the entire i I don't want to overstate but the entire almost superstructure of a of a of a you know country or of a of a people Mm -hmm. all all coming together. It was not one prong. It wasn't just, oh, well, my preacher told me they're lesser. It was the preachers, the doctors, the mm-hmm. journalists, everybody teamed up to create this, this multifaceted attack where everyone was saying the same thing. And it was like, well, I, I hear it everywhere, so it has to be true. Like, yeah, there, and- there is no other side of this. They were just getting it from every which way. Yeah, and you could see again, you know, I mean, it's not like, 10 people or one person or whatever tugging on the strings of every little individual person and like what we you know kind of think of as an overly paranoid conspiracy or stuff like that it's a bunch of corrupt shithead planters but literally enslaved black people and whether they're white workers that wanted to stay above the slavery or white planters who wanted to enslave people or you know the the people employed by these planters there's just this large and, and this is where you get, you know, conspiracy is a valid term is a, is a good thing. These large people conspiring essentially on their own interest to create this structure of upholding that the black man was lesser, that the black man deserved to be a slave um, mm-hmm. and that that this was essential. This is the way it was right. And the thing that keeps that going is is the money behind it is the 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 essential, you know, the subliminal promise of gold. So maybe not in all their minds, are they lying all the time? Are they doing something corrupt and horrible all the time? But the second that comes into consciousness, they don't care. No. And they're all driven to these actions, conscious or not, yep. you know, and this is again, you know, what we think of as right wing. And this is, this is the kind of thing that, that formed not only this country being so damn far right and being so damn racist. Um, but it's also the kind of thing that, we see that comes with the classism that bashes down on the poor, that that is everything right wing in this country. So when this, this country took a large turn right after the Cold War, as if it wasn't already the far right of the world before then, it wasn't already that access of the Cold War. Um, but this, this far right turn neoliberalism, it's just embracing this. It's this coming full circle um, and just kind of sinking in 
And so when people think, ugh, uneducated, stupid, you know, this is unscientific. Well, of course, it always has been. But yeah. that's how this racism is built. That's not going to stop them. It hasn't yeah, stopped you, them for hundreds of years. Yeah. If you if you thought that, oh, if we just educated enough people, maybe racism will go away. Um, right. I, no. <laughs> no. No, you naive, you naive so-and-so, no. Yeah. Um, God. The espousal of the doctrine of Negro inferiority by the South was primarily because of economic motives and the interconnected political urge necessary to support slave industry. But to the watching world, it sounded like the carefully thought out result of experience and reason. And because of this, it was singularly disastrous for modern civilization in science and religion, in art and government, as well as in industry. The South could say that the Negro, even when brought into modern civilization, could not be civilized. And that, therefore, he and the other colored peoples of the world were so far inferior to the whites that the white world had a right to rule mankind for their own selfish interests. Never in modern times has a large section of a nation so used its combined energies to the degradation of mankind. The hurt to the Negro in this era was not only his treatment in slavery, it was the wound dealt to his reputation as a human being. Nothing was left. Nothing was sacred. While the best and most and more cultivated and more humane of the planters did not themselves always repeat the calamity they stood by, consenting by silence, while blatherskites said things about Negroes too cruelly untrue to be the word of civilized men. Not only then, in the 40s and 50s, did the word Negro lose its capital letter, but African history became the tale of degraded animals and subhuman savages, where no vestige of human culture found foothold. I, uh, again, never want people to be equivocating anything that goes on with, like, modern workers in America to slavery. Yeah. I don't, I I don't. The only thing, the only thing that can be equivocated, and it's not just modern workers, is, and it's happening to the same prison, and it's not just the prison prison labor, which is horribly underpaid and horrible conditions. It's prison as a whole, because the important part of slavery uh, was control, right? It was yes. control of people, it was control of resources, and it was done by brutal dehumanization. And that's what's reflected. And that's why uh, the prison population is so heavily black and so heavily indigenous. These are the people that have been dehumanized for profit for so long, you know, and, and at this point, we're essentially at a stage of monopolization. So, you know, I mean, woo, they lost a civil war. So now they can only do their slavery in prison. Yeah. I mean, sure. They're still treating workers like shit. That's not going to go away, but they're going to certainly dehumanize these races for control. They're going to keep doing that. They want to hold on to these resources. They don't want to give this wealth back. They don't want people rising up and and fighting against them. Um, And that's the only thing, close to comparable and when slavery was legal um in a more formal fashion it was more widespread it was out in the fields it was explicitly totally on on skin color it was a shitty shitty time and a shitty shitty country that we're still in a shitty shitty time for you know um but it was it was a whole nother level and it should always be recognized as that thus Thus, a basis basis in reason philanthropy and science was built up for the negro slavery Judges on the bench declared that Negro servitude was too last if the apocalypse be not in error until the end of time. The Atlanta Daily Intelligencer of January 9th, 1860 said, We can't see for the life of us how anyone understanding fully the great principle that underlies our system of involuntary servitude can discover any monstrosity in subjecting a Negro to slavery of a white man. We contend, on the contrary, that the monstrosity, or at least the unnaturalness in this, occurs... 
or in this matter, consistent finding Negroes anywhere in white communities not under the control of the whites. Whenever we see a Negro, we presuppose a master, and if we see him in what is commonly called a free state, we consider him out of his place. And the, then there's a blank the page. Real for racism is dividing all the statistics by race. Why is it always got to be about black people dying? Why? Why can't yeah. it just be about everybody dying? Yeah, I. I <laughs> do you have page forty? Do I have? Yes, I do have page forty. Is it just gone for you? I don't have page forty. I will. I will read the ever living crap out of it. Here we go. Elio. <laughs> <laughs> this matter of manumission or emancipation, now thank heaven less practiced than formerly, is a species of false philanthropy, which we look upon as the cousin German to abolitionism. Bad for the master, worse for the slave. That was the finish of this quote of like, oh, you know, you, you think it's philanthropy to free these slaves, but you're taking them out of place. It's terrible. They need this. They, they, they are meant to be slaves. They need their masters. How dare you? Uh, beneath this educational and social propaganda lay the undoubted evidence at the planter's own expenses. He saw ignorant and sullen labor deliberately reducing his profits. In fact, he always faced the negative attitude of the general strike. Open revolt of slaves, refusal to work, could be met by beating and selling to the harsher methods of the Deep South and Southwest as punishment. Again, they yep. can wrap workers around this need to work to survive and treat them like absolute dog shit. But they could treat slaves like so much worse because they weren't thought of as human. They could yeah. be beaten. They could be driven around like cattle. If you beat them to death, as long as you wasn't too much for your investment of them, it was about power and dominance. Yeah, it, it's also explains a lot of when you when they're talking about oh well this would go on for all of you know until the end of time and and we kind of go well that's insane the only way for this to work for them the only way that this can sustain is on the basis that they are basically livestock yeah and therefore this is the way it goes if you say that there's a natural end to it at some point then you are conceding the fact that this is a system of exploitation of a human by another human. You have to completely eliminate that as an option before this can even, before you can justify any of it. Otherwise it's, it's literally unjust. That's, that's the the mental hoop that they have to jump through to get to this point. And it's terrifying how easily they were able to do it. Absolutely. Running away could be curbed by law and police. Where did police come from? Hmm. But nothing, oh, good. Could, <laughs> but nothing could stop the dogged slave from doing just a little, just as little as the poor worker as possible. All observers spoke of the fact that the slaves were slow and churlish, that they wasted material and malingered at their work. Of course they did. This was not racial but economic. It was the answer of any group of laborers forced down to the last ditch. They might be made to work continuously, but no power could make them work well. If the European or northern laborer did not do his work properly and fast enough, he would lose the job. The black slave would not lose his job. If the northern laborer got sick or injured, he was discharged, usually without compensation. The black slave could not be discharged and had to be given some care in sickness, particularly if he rescinded a a valuable investment. The northern and English employer could select workers in the prime of his life and did not have to pay children too young to work or adults too old. The slave owner had to take care of children and old folk, and while this did not much 
cost much on a farm or entail any great care, it did seriously cut down on the proportion of his effective laborers, which could be ba- only balanced out by the systemic labor of women and children. The children ran loose with the only most general control, getting their food with the other slaves. The old folk forged for themselves. Now and then they were found dead of neglect, but usually there was no trouble in their getting at least food, enough to live in some rude shelter. The economic difficulties that the that thus faced the planter in exploiting the black slave, were curious. Contrary to the trend of his age, he could not use higher wage to include better work or a larger supply of labor. He could not allow his labor to become intelligent, although intelligent labor would greatly increase the production of his wealth. He could not depend on voluntary immigration unless the immigration be slaves, and he must bear the burden of the old and sick and could only balance by his child labor and the labor of women. Thus, use of slave women as a day work naturally broke up or made impossible the normal Negro home, and this and the slave code led to a development which the South was really ashamed and which it often denied, and yet perfectly evident: the raising of slaves in the border slave state, and yeah, in the border slave states for systemic sale on the commercialized cotton plantations. Uh, and that's the beginning of page forty-one. If you do have that and want to take there, but I just want Bam. to stop and yes, and. Uh, mentioned that i mean obviously and you see the roots of everything in this you know this is the roots of the the lazy black man which of course turned into the lazy poor deserves their their lot in life i mean that's of course a convenient argument which you could draw up out of thin air without these same conditions if you are a capitalist and you want to point a way to like i deserve my money but where did you think it up? You know, I mean, these are not brilliant people that rule the world out of their genius. They've taken power by brute force. And when they stumble on something that works, they use it over and over. I mean, that's how even the CIA and shit works. Uh, they stumbled on this idea, bitching about lazy slaves and they'll be lazy. And when they're free, they're going to stay poor because they'll be lazy. And then when they're freed, uh, they stayed poor because of the, the power and the economic conditions. And then just point to these lazy people, you know, sucking off the teats. And of course we, we talked in the intro about tax, Taxes and public schools suddenly being these things, these people sucking off the, the teats of their taxes and this tyrannical taxes, and it, it all just formulated kind of naturally for them, and they could bitch about it all day long and, and make up all this shit about deserving poor people, and it's, of course, very, very racially coded. And not even that coded anymore. I mean, this is, no. this, I mean, we know what the Southern strategy was. Like we've, we've got yeah. this one. It's, it's, it's been pretty well. We, we found the Rosetta stone for racism guys. It's not difficult. Um, <laughs> but the ability of the slaveholder and landlord to sequester a large share of the profits of slave labor depended on his exploitation of that labor rather than upon high prices for his product in the market. Mm-hmm. Interesting. A little supply demand thing kind of goes out the window there. In the world market, the merchants and manufacturers had all the advantage of unity, knowledge, and purpose and could hammer down the price of raw material. The slaveholder, therefore, saw northern merchants and manufacturers enrich themselves from the results of southern agriculture. Wait a minute. They're making money off of all of my labor. How dare they? This seems unfair. <laughs> They're making the, money the, off my slaves. My uh, slaves. <laughs> how dare they? Oh God! Just the, the 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 guy getting angry that someone figured out how to grift better than he did, like that. Mm, just <laughs> it just always always brings me some level of, of Schadenfreude. Um, he was angry and used all his great political power to circumvent it. His only effective economic movement, however, could take place against the slave. He was forced, unless, unless willing to take lower profits continually, to beat down the cost of his slave labor. But there was another motive, which would which more and more strongly as time went on compelled the planter to cling to slavery. His political power was based on slavery, 
With 4 million slaves, he could balance the votes of 2,400,000 northern voters, while in the inconceivable event of their becoming free, their votes would outnumber those of his northern opponents, which was precisely what happened in 1868. As the economic power of the planter waned, his political power became more and more indispensable to the maintenance of his income and profits. Holding his industrial system secure by the political domination, the planter turned to the more systematic exploitation of his black labor. One method called for more land and the other for more slaves. Both meant not only increased crops, but increased political power. It was a temptation that swept greed, religion, military pride, and dreams of empire to its defense. There were two possibilities. He might follow the old method of the early West Indian sugar plantations. Always a great model to follow. (laughs) Uh, Work his slaves without regard to their physical condition until they died of overwork or exposure, and then buy new ones. The difficulty of this, however, was that the price of slaves since the attempt to abolish the slave trade was gradually rising. This in the deep South led to a strong and gradually increasing demand for uh, the reopening of the African slave trade. Just as modern industry demands cheaper and cheaper coolie labor in Asia and half slave labor in African mines. The other possibility was to find continual increments of new rich land upon which ordinary slave labor would bring adequate return. This land the South sought in the Southeast, then beyond the Mississippi, in Louisiana, in Texas, then in Mexico. And finally, it turned its face in two directions, toward the northwestern territories of the United States and toward the West Indian Islands of, in South America. The South was drawn toward the West by two motives. First, the possibility that slavery in Kansas, Colorado, Utah, and Nevada would be at least as profitable as in Missouri. And secondly, to prevent the expansion of free labor there and its threat to slavery. This challenge was a council of despair in the face of modern industrial development and probably the radical, uh, probably, oh, oh, man, I lost it. Probably the radical South expected defeat in the West and hoped the conquest, the consequent consequent resentment among the slaveholders would set the South toward a great slave empire in the Caribbean. Jefferson Davis was ready to reopen the African slave trade to any future acquisitions south of the Rio Grande. You wonder how all that Texas bullshit started up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, goody. (laughs) As if they couldn't get much worse. This brought the South to war with the farmers and laborers in the North and the West, who wanted free soil but did not want to compete with slave labor. The Fugitive Slave Law of 1850 vastly extended federal power so as to nullify states' rights in the North. The Compromise of 1850 permitted the extension of slavery into the territories, and the Kansas-Nebraska Bill of 1854 deprived Congress of the right to prohibit slavery anywhere. This opened the entire West to slavery. War followed in Kansas. Slaveholders went boldly into Kansas, armed and organized, as the fascists usually are. Now, Nathan, yeah. I've I got to stop you before you get into this quote. Did you just say that the South tried to nullify states' rights in the North? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think they abs- I think they went full on states' rights. They said the federal government couldn't prohibit slavery anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, okay. okay. Vastly extended federal power as to nullify states' rights in the North. Oh, no, there it is. You're right. oh man all right that one's good guys that one is very good uh um, throw that just just shout that little quote out for the next time someone wants to fuck with you know what was the civil war really about with you just really really just clip go to page 42 of black reconstruction in america it's right there it's clipped out nice and nice for you just go go grab that you're welcome um (laughs) the invaders went in such force that the scattered and unorganized citizens could make no resistance. And in many places, they did not attempt to vote, 
seeing the public polls surrounded by crowds of armed men who they know came from Missouri to control the election, and the leaders of the invaders kept their men under control, being anxious to prevent needless violence, as any serious outbreak would attract the attention of the country. In some districts, the actual citizens protested against the election and petitioned the governor to set it aside and order another. We can tell the impertinent scoundrels of the Tribune that we will continue to lynch and hang to tar and feather and drown every white-livered abolitionist who dares to pollute our soil. Shut out from the United States territories by the free soil movement, the South determined upon secession with the distinct idea of eventually expanding into the Caribbean. Man, Manifest Destiny just keeps getting bigger and bigger every time they oh, yeah. get it's oh, it's yeah. Jesus. And if, if that was confusing, too, since we kind of stopped between the, the leading sentence and the quote, uh, that quote wasn't attributed to one person. That was a general quote of like what the Southern slaveholders would have said about, you know, their conquest in Kansas, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was, however, the opposition in the border states. The employers of labor in the border states had found a new source of revenue. They did not like to admit it. But they surrounded it with a certain secrecy, and it was exceedingly bad taste for any Virginia planter to have it indicated that he was deliberately raising slaves for sale. And yet that was a fact. In no respect are peculiar psychological difficulties of the planters better illustrated than with regard to the interstate slave trade. The theory was clear and lofty. Slaves were a part of the family? My people, George Washington called them. Under ordinary circumstances, they were never to be alienated, but supported during good behavior and bad, punished and corrected for crime and misdemeanor, rewarded for good conduct. It was the patriarchal clan translated into modern life with social, religious, economic, and even blood ties. I don't want to read anymore after that. <laughs> oh, God, that was very, very funny with the even blood ties. Shit. Um but, you know, of course, this is leading into like at least the slave. They were treated like absolute garbage. They were fucking property that was passed down from generation to generation. You rape them. You punish them. You whip them. All these horrible things. But at least you did not raise them as pure stock to sell. They always stayed in the family. So now they're being opened up this underground like wink, wink, doesn't really happen slave trade. It's almost kind of like human trafficking today where, you know, they'll make these laws like FOSTA, SESTA, SESTA to like try to stop like sex trafficking, but all it does is just, you know, tamp down on sex workers and, and make life even more precarious for him. Uh, meanwhile, there's giant child sex rings that are being, you know, lauded in Netflix specials and run by the Jeff Epsteins of the world. And then everybody just kind of turns the other cheek. Um, it was like that purely with slaves at this time, just shitty, shitty, disgusting things. Um, this was the theory, but as a matter of fact, the cotton planters were supplied with laborers by the border states. A laboring stock was desperately or deliberately bred for legal sale. A large number of persons followed the profession of promoting the sale of slaves. There were markets and quotations, and the stream of black labor, moving continuously into the south, reached yearly into the thousands. Notwithstanding these perfectly clear and authenticated facts, the planter persistently denied them. He denied that there was any considerable interstate slave sale of trades. He denied that the families were broken up. He insisted that slave auctions were due to the death or mischance and per- particularly did insist that slave traders were the least of human beings and most despised. This deliberate contradiction of plain facts constitutes itself a major charge against slavery and shows how the system often so affronted the moral sense of the planters themselves that they tried to hide from it. They could not in fact they could not face the fact of the Negro woman as brood mares and of black children mm. as puppies. Like even the slaves who mm. were sufficiently dishuman- dehumanized, mm. it was just, it was a little too much. There's always, always been this thing where there's a level that's just, 
it's it's a little unacceptable, a little too much. Like, ooh, this this is uncouth. Uh, but it's part of the system, so it's got to happen anyway. So you just you just deny it and and keep on going. You know, powerful people do this now, right? They do this with warfare and genocide. They know things like sanction kills, and they they bomb innocent people, and and they've been doing this back but behind slavery. They, you know, they knew black people were human, but they had to dehumanize themselves to. Or they had to dehumanize them to themselves and everybody else. Uh, they know poor people uh, are not poor of their own making. It's a systemic thing. They know unemployment happens. Uh, they know this demonizing of you know decolonial countries or countries that are not doing the U.S.'s bidding well enough that they want resources from or socialist countries is is built on lies. And they just they lie to themselves. They lie to other people. You just turn the other cheek. Uh, they know, you know, for a fact that, that people are racist, very, very racist. And it's more about denying that you're racist, like it's a dirty word, uh, than actually combating the racial system for a lot of these people in power. There's always been this like level of distaste when it's a little too obvious, but the actions are very, they're very happy to keep the actions going on behind the scenes. And when people were dehumanized to the level of slavery being legal, that's a whole nother I don't want to say Overton window because I'm not big on, on that idea, but there was like an Overton window of dehumanizing people that was closer to dehumanizing them. So it's the uncouth didn't happen until it was, oh, you know, we're, we're not breeding slaves like they're freaking puppies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, indeed, while we speak of the planters and one essentially unvarying group, there is evidence that the necessary. Of the, bleh, that the necessities of their economic organization were continually changing and deteriorating their morale and pushing forward ruder, noisier, less cultivated elements than characterized in the southern gentlemen of early days. Certainly the cursing, brawling, whoring gamblers who largely represented the South in the late 50s, evidenced by the inevitable deterioration that overtakes men when they're desire for income and extravagance overwhelms their respect for human beings. Thus, the interstate slave trade grew and flourished, and the demand for the African slave was rapidly becoming irresistible in the, in the late 50s. From 50 to 80,000 slaves went from the border states to the lower south in the last decade of slavery. One planter frankly said that he calculated that the moment a colored baby was born, it was worth him to him $300. And think about $300 in that time money. Yeah. So far, which again, possible. right back to yeah. we're right back to Tiger King, guys. This is exactly <laughs> right back to Tiger King. Tiger King too. Uh, so far as possible, the planters in selling off their slaves avoided the breaking up of families, but they were facing flat economic facts. The persons who were buying slaves in the cotton belt were not buying families; they were buying workers, and thus, by economic demand, families were continually and regularly broken up. The father was sold away, the mother and the half-grown children separated, and sometimes smaller children were sold. One of the subsequent tragedies of the system was the frantic efforts before and after emancipation of Negroes hunting for their relatives throughout the United States. A Southerner wrote to Olmstead, In the states of Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, and Kentucky, Tennessee, and Missouri, as much attention is paid to the breeding and growth of Negroes as that of horses and mules. Further south, we raise them both for use and for market. Planters command their girls and women, married or unmarried, to have children. And I, and I have known a great many Negro girls to be sold off because they did not have children. A breeding woman is worth from one-sixth to one-fourth more than, than one that does not breed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is just going to keep getting worse. I just don't like any of it. We, we just have to 
rid plow our through. and get through it. Just plow, plow through. <sighs> Sexual chaos arose from Oh, no, 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 no. Please don't. Please don't. Please don't. The deliberate breeding of a strong, big field hand stock could be carried out by selecting proper males and giving them the run of the likeliest females. This, in many border states, became a regular policy and fed the slave trade. Childbearing was a profitable occupation, which received every possible encouragement, and there was not only no bar to illegitimacy, but an actual premium put upon it. Indeed, the word was impossible of meaning under the slave system. Again, this is so many times a reminder of horrible things today. And when you see fetishization of ethnic minorities, oh my it God. always has yes. ties to something horrible, whether it's, you know, ties to like the child sex slaves created in the Vietnam War uh, with Asian fetish- mm. fetishization to yeah. this, where you get the fetishization of, you know, black people as like, I mean, I, you hear terms like you know strapping young buck and shit like that there was so some girl racist there was some girl on fucking tiktok the other day that showed up on my timeline for some fucking reason that oh, was God. just absolutely doing no and i think i mean the call out was literally i think it just got retweeted because someone was like this it was just like the most blatant fetishization of black males i have ever seen in my life yeah. like just out quiet part out loud just yeah. holy shit yeah. what is go like what is happening I mean, this is, this is, okay. Um, on that real upbeat note, guys, um, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and shut it down for the week because, uh, (laughs) Nathan needs a minute to also go ahead and read ahead a little bit to make sure we don't end up with another East St. Louis situation. Um, because, uh, when we get into sexual chaos and, uh, and, and breeding, breeding stock of, of slavery, I get a little, a little on edge. So not to, not to leave you on a cliffhanger, but we're going to, we're going to read ahead to make sure for next week. And we're also at the end of the episode anyway. So that was just convenient. But yeah, go. so we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and, and wrap this for this week. We did eight pages today. We, we did, and we ass. and we got a little off track even in, in there a little bit. I mean, we we got we to work it in a little bit. Track for like ten minutes. We did indeed start very off. Well, that it is our want. It is our it is our proclivity. It's who we are. It is. Um, it's the nature of us recording these weekly now. <laughs> we don't have one episode where we talk for forty five minutes and then an episode where we just read for the whole time. It's it's no. We got to get to business. Um, that being said. Um, if, uh, we screwed up and attributed that something, a bad neoliberal said to another bad neoliberal, please feel free to point that out to us. You can either email us at marksman or marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Uh, at marksmadnesspod is our Twitter handle. Um, you also can come hang out with us in the discord. David is in there now. Hey everybody. Um, he's joined. It's awesome. It's fun times. Um, the way it's working now is that you can, at David in the in the dumb and awful Discord, where uh, we both now kind of I live permanently, and he's like a an infrequent visitor. Uh, and then you just at him, and then I'll text him the question like some weird Pony Express system of internet communication. <laughs> but it gets the job done, and everyone uh, we're all we're all enjoying it. It's good to have the the dialogues there. They're also starting a uh, a reading club, a, a reading series, book club sort of thing inside the dumb and awful Discord. Um, so that's, if you're, if you're more interested in the serious side of this, that is kicking There's a whole server that you can just hang out in there and they're, they've got a, a good, good comrade is leading that. And they're going to, I think they're gonna, They said they're going to have two groups. One is going to be like super serious, uh, like hardcore theory, kind of almost more like what this show does. Uh, and then the other one's going to be a lot lighter, but still leftist kind of stuff, maybe more like cultural, uh, stuff or, or, or kind of more lighter 
fair. So you know what? It's, it's gonna be a little something for everybody in there. We're gonna have we're gonna have a good time with it. But yeah, yeah, you can show up there. It's at the Dumb and Awful Discord, which is now I found out because like four people DM'd us this week for the link. Uh, I went ahead and just link. It's in our Twitter bio now, so you can just the link in our Twitter bio now goes to that, so you can come come find us because I realize that every one of our tweets is a tweet to our uh, episodes, so we probably don't need a link to our episodes in there as well. It seems a little redundant. <laughs> So we got that taken care of. But yeah, if, y'all, if, if there's anything y'all want to ask or communicate or if there's organization more so than anything else right now, um, my ask this week would be if there are organizations nearby you, if there's places that we can direct people. Because um, again, I know, I, I, I know we struggle here with having enough organizations, but if there's somewhere out there that's doing good work and you want us to, to shout them out or get them some visibility or do anything, plug them up, yeah. man. I would love to spend five minutes just reading off organizations that are doing good work out there so that people can can find them and we'll put them in the show notes when we do it because the, the more the more we can connect people during this the better the better we're going to be on the other yeah. side yeah and obviously i mean and and it's not like we don't um know a lot of good you know orgs ourselves we certainly uh you know push the united panther movement uh, which were doing mm-hmm. good things and the, the peace report recently uh did some work on on some stuff they were doing and, and ran into some police crackdowns and i believe philadelphia um, which was, was not so good. Um, I know the center for, uh, people's self-determination in, uh, St. Louis has, uh, just acquired another abandoned gardening space, uh, to try to expand their gardening. Um, so that's good. Cause they're, they're gardening to supply food for people. Um, I know black hammer org is, uh, getting big. That's another organization yeah. that's, that's, uh, they're led. I, I don't think they even take in white members i'm not sure they know i know they want the vanguard to expect uh, man it's like they figured it out finally thank you they, um but i know they've been greatly expanding I've, I've seen more and more uh people that i know are good organizers um from different regions where i, I can't see it firsthand because it's kind of far away and we're in quarantine and i'm not exactly out of philadelphia there's a lot of good orgs out there but if you know any um that are, are doing anything yeah. and need some help um especially if it's doing any kind of you know advocacy uh, or supplies uh, for you know prisons right now um, seem to take be taking the absolute brunt of this pandemic. Uh, let us know. You know, we'll yeah. shout them out. Yeah, we. I would say we put them on. We'll plug them on the Twitter. We'll do anything. Anything we can do with the little bit of reach we have. We. I would. I would love to be doing it right now. Yeah. All right. Well, that being said, uh, this has been Mark's Madness. My name is Nathan. Oh, do do we no. plug our actual um, Twitter account? Yeah, I plugged our Twitter I, account. Oh, okay. I've done this. Yeah, yeah. All- Somehow my brain just felt like... You no, we did the... We, yeah, you can get us at marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. We're on okay. Twitter at, at marksmadnesspod. Okay. And uh, yeah, then that. Maybe yeah. I just... I might have just brain farted this. You is, probably did. I, oh, it was also... It's also brain. been like a minute and a half since I did it. So it's been a, it's been a hot yeah. second. Yeah, and my brain is constantly rotting. Just Oh, no, no. Yeah, the quarant- quarantine brain's doing bad things to me. I'm, I'm not good. <laughs> I am not well. Okay. Well, then let's, right. let's get back to that. So I'm David. <laughs> I'm still Nathan. All right. Talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>